Howdy, gang. Thanks for tuning in to Back Country and Barbells. Uh, I'm Joe Shamanic. The other feller is Jeremy Day. And today we actually have uh, Chris Sorrell. Chris, man, how's it going, buddy? Great. How are you? Good. Did I say your last name right as a uh, as a gentleman with a... Uh, I, I make the joke often that the longest, hardest thing I've given my wife is my last name. And uh, I, I, I just want to make sure we say that right. So, Sorrell? It's uh, Sorrell. Sorrell. Okay. Awesome. Well, uh, Chris is on the show to talk to us about turkey hunting, folks. I know it's uh, we're, uh, we're approaching... We're actually, Jeremy, approaching the end of off-season, I guess. And maybe... maybe uh, Maybe uh, I always looked at turkey hunting as like um, summer camp, maybe where it's just like, hey, you know, or spring training, I guess, is the better term. So uh, we're excited for that. So we have a bit of a, a turkey expert on the show. But I think uh, before we jump into turkeys, um, the timing of this episode is in interesting times, especially for for Jeremy and I here in um, here in the larger Seattle area where Corona Crazy is making uh Toilet paper, a very hot commodity, I guess. Uh, so, so uh, Chris, are you seeing the same? You're out in Missouri, and um, man, if there's anything I've told my wife, it's like, um, hey, maybe it's time to take a camping trip. But um, I, I, from where you are in the middle of the country, um, I'd imagine you're getting less cases. But um, is it Corona crazy in your neck of the woods as well, sir? It is Corona crazy, also. All of the stores, the toilet paper aisles are empty. <laughs> okay. I see a lot of a lot of people filling their carts with canned goods, and it's uh, it's been crazy. People are going a little overboard. Yeah, I, th- I think. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I feel like walking around the grocery store yesterday, or even you know, I work in a school system. Um, at a at a middle school, and you know the the governor easily obviously made the announcement to shut shut our schools down, and it was it's a really weird way that he had gone about it, and I'll provide some details in a bit, but I just feel like the 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 feeling that I have is that I'm standing on a beach with the community, looking at a calm summer's day, and we're just waiting for this big wave, and it's just 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 a really eerie stress. Um, Jeremy, how's things in Gig Harbor? Um, it's the same thing. I mean, we get, um, Michelle went to Costco, well, my daughter works at Costco and she was telling us that, um, people were there yesterday morning at 7 a.m. and wanted to be the first ones in to rush to the toilet paper. So they got there two hours early just to wait in line to get toilet paper. Yeah, what's, I mean... (sighs) The the toilet paper thing is a really interesting one. Um, <laughs> I mean, okay, it is interesting. <laughs> we're we're all we're all woods ready. Um, we know there's other options. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I I, I just think it's interesting. Any uh, any re- any particular reason that you guys can kind of zero in on 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 this toilet paper craze? They said that the toilet paper is made over in China and there's going to be a big shortage. So people are uh, doing everything they can to ensure they get the wipe. Oh, okay. So <laughs> so of, of all the things manufactured in China, the one we're worried about is toilet paper. How, I, I would be a little worried about your, um, your aspirin, your blood pressure medication. Um, I mean, as far as I know, I don't think we make any... any um, any meds 
that are like that you need on a day to day basis. I'm pretty sure most pharmaceuticals are also made over there along with, you know, weren't you just at the motor parts store? I bet you look at those labels. There's not much that says made in America anymore. You know, I, I just imagine that this also, this Corona craziness, if anything, I, I hope it kind of points to maybe some societal things that we might want to look to start doing again, like making our own toilet paper. Well, that's what they were talking about is that 80 or 90% of all the, the, um, the components to make medication is manufactured over there as well. So mm. even if we do process our own medication here, some of those ingredients are made in China, 80, 90% of them. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, that cheap labor comes at a cost, don't it now? Yep. So, um, so we'll see, we'll see how that works out. So Chris, I'm, I'm still super interested in the, in the, um, take on what's going in Missouri with this, uh, aside from toilet paper being off shelves, um, are you guys even experiencing, I talk, my mom lives in Arkansas. Um, she does some disaster relief work and, um, generally they, they, they do some things where they're, um, they'll, they'll monitor air quality at a, at a hospital when it's getting broke down or, you know, they have to dispose of things and, uh, oil spills, things like that. They do disaster work, but she's saying, you know, people are okay. There's like barely any cases in her hometown. There's not many people. It's just, um, again, not, not much, but she says the general thought is good. They're just worked up that it could get bad. Um, uh, but it's the Missouri perspective outside of toilet paper, anything to add? The, on the Missouri side, I heard last night, which I didn't hear it from a very reliable source, but they were saying that there was a doctor in Sedalia that came back from Italy that has been tested positive mm -hmm. with the coronavirus and that they had their first death. We're very close to the Kansas border, so Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas are on top of each other, and there was a death at a nursing home of a 78-year-old man with lots of other complications that said tested positive mm. for coronavirus. Mm. Yeah. Other than that, no. Yeah, it's just, um, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, I've never heard of so many people. I didn't know I had so many friends and family members who lived in Italy or were there. Like, that's just really interesting. Like, all of a sudden, when this started happening, uh, I realized um, I had a coworker who had a, a son studying abroad who got shipped over. I realized that um, my daughter's my daughter's pre K teacher um, she had a brother who lived in Italy. And then the other strange part is just now all of a sudden people are paying attention to uh, retirement homes. It's just and and the point I'll make here is that it's interesting to me how in times of crisis. Now, all of a sudden, we're putting our cell phones down and paying attention to things. Um, so, again, you know, kind of looking at the glass half full, you know, maybe, again, maybe the, the, maybe the lining on this is, hey, man, maybe we just need to generally be paying attention more. And, and let's – hopefully, I think we've caught it in time to pay attention. I don't think we need to be hysterical and gobble up all the toilet paper. But, you know, I do think that, you know, maybe – Maybe as a as a larger group, it's like, oh, good, we're paying attention a bit more, and we should be. So, um, you know, it's just, I, I really, it's been a really interesting two weeks, Jeremy. It has been an interesting two weeks. It's, uh, you know, trade shows throughout the every everything throughout the whole U.S. is just getting canceled left and right. Yeah. 
Well, I'll tell you. It's uh, crazy. There's going to be the impact is going to be just, you know, the economy. It's going to be interesting how we recover from this. I know the president will probably do some, some stimulus money here and there, but overall, it's going to have a lasting effect for the rest of the year. Well, you, you talk about recovery, and, you know, let's to put this in a training perspective, you know, there's a couple different ways to recover. You have active recovery. Uh, and I'll, I'll talk about it first in terms of just um, from an athletic standpoint. You know, you have you have mobility work that you've brought up. You have active recovery. You can take a jog, you know. And I got an idea for you. Sometimes the best way to recover is to just take a damn rest. And and to bring this into the corona talk, um, you know, maybe our economy just needs to slow down in general. And I, I mean that. You know, there was a time in America where – your family had one car, uh, dad worked, uh, mom took care of the kids, um, families took one vacation, you know, kids got a Christmas present and a piece of cake for their birthday, like, and times were pretty good because families were together and, and people, people kind of slowed down and paid attention to each other and they weren't scrambling to get the latest gadget that could give them a bunch of this, that, and the other thing. So, um, in particular, like, you know, maybe... Maybe we do just need to slow down and give things a rest. Um, and, and I don't necessarily feel like that's a bad thing. No, I agree. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree also. And I think that, uh, you know, I remember when businesses used to be closed on Sunday. Yeah. That was family time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I honestly don't think anything's wrong with that. I mean, you know, as we sit here and me and, you know, you know, look, people told us that our my school might be closed for six weeks. And, you know, I'm having an interesting conversation with my boss and, and everybody because, well, it's been interesting for me working in a school because I've been getting a lot of texts from my friends. Oh, I guess you got a six-week vacation. Oh, I guess you're going to have a long turkey season. Um, not really because what they, what they told our schools is um, our schools are still going to be staffed. They're still going to be open. Um, from our district's perspective, they've – said we're going to take care of first responders, workers. Um, we're going to provide meals to the communities because these guys are on free and reduced lunch, and we need to develop education materials to support prior education. And and I'm asking the question to my boss. I'm like, well, look, if you're going to turn me into a daycare worker, if you think I'm going to not take care of my own kids first, you got a problem. So <laughs> um, it's it's really interesting, man. Um, and But – it's forcing me because you know a lot of the second income that we have is really to pay for private education and and you know um you know we were single income for a long time and and at least the wife and i are set up to go right back into that and um i I don't know that it would be a really hard decision for us if it came over to it but um no it's good to hear that I, i know that if things slow down a bit over here in april and I don't know. I just feel like it'd be a good thing to just calm down and breathe and and um, focus on what's. I don't know. The message even to my kids at school is they're freaking out. And you know, it's funny to hear a middle school kid complain about how President Trump is handling a pandemic. Um, <laughs> and and you you realize pretty instantly just how shallow even their parents' understanding of things is because they're a mirror into that. I believe. Um, and I'm just like you know, guys. I don't know what your perspective is, but mine is like in these weird times where things get really squirrely, my focus instantly gets to right in front of my face. So if you really want to help your folks, don't give them any political insight. Maybe you should think about making your bed and 
doing the dishes and giving your mom a hug. I mean, why don't you start there with something you can control? Um, uh, so with that said, before we jump into Turkey Talk, guys, I mean, have you made any adjustments to your go about that 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 are meaningful? And maybe and everyone's talking about how they have to wash their hands. But um, if this continues to get crazy, are there any like positive adjustments that 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 you've made in, in the middle of Corona crazy? Life is as normal for me. I haven't changed one bit. Yeah. I, I, and I would say the same. It's uh, I've just been operating as normal. The only thing that has slightly changed is some of my work schedule based on the fact of uh, things being canceled and some uh, suppliers not wanting uh, any outside people into their facilities. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, the the biggest inconvenience for us so far is when my wife had to. She was getting her hair done the other day. Um, the, the, the salon didn't want the three kids in the waiting room. So I had to spin over there and grab them. Um, so it just seems to be an inconvenience at the moment. So, uh, you know, if that's the worst that happens through this, I think we're, I think we're in good shape. So, um, well, cool fellas. Um, but, uh, Chris, we, we, you know, um, we brought you on here to talk gobblers. Uh, we, we brought you on here to talk about, uh, the big game of the, the small game world, um, and I'll let you know, Chris, that uh, uh, it's the first and so far only hunting tag I've ever notched. Um, it was last year. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm new to the hunting game, about three years in. But uh, uh, Jeremy put me on to a nice, a nice tom last year, and um, it, it was a super cool experience. So uh, uh, we're really interested in picking your brain about uh, maybe upping our game so uh, we can't uh, – limit out and, and uh notch a couple more tags so how'd you how'd you get into turkey hunting i know you've been doing it for a long time i actually had a uh, friend that i went to church with was kind of one of uh my mentors he uh he kind of took me under his wing to say and said why don't you come out with me and we and he took me out turkey hunting for the very first time and i absolutely fell in love with it and when about was that how long have you been at it? Well, if I told you that, I'd give up my age. Okay. It's been about <laughs> It's been about 25 years. Oh, very cool. Well, well not older than I am, so that's pretty good. Um so so uh, uh we'll give you that one. Um and so what 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 was it about? I mean, I'll tell you um I I not I wouldn't say it's criticism, but people look at me sideways when I say this. Um, for some reasons, I think I like turkey hunting for the same reason I like um, elk hunting. For uh, the interaction with the critter, I think is pretty neat. When you when you can make a noise with your mouth and just get a reaction from an animal, let alone get one to uh, chatter back at you, it's it's a it's a super. It's an adrenaline rush. It's like a it's a connection with nature. It's primal. Like it's all those things to me. Um, wh- what about that initial turkey hunt just sealed the deal for you and got you to fall in love with it? The whole experience, the experience of being outside in the early early mornings in the spring, listening to nature come alive, the birds gobbling on the roofs, and just exactly like you said, to be able to communicate with that bird and have him respond to you and as watching it unfold with him to the some of the techniques that he used that he was 
speaking that bird's language and was altering his pattern to do what he wanted him to do. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Very cool. And for you, all this, um, this initial turkey hunt, have you been, um, have you been, uh, settled in Missouri doing most of this? I mean, uh, or was it that, uh, just, uh, if you can paint the picture of the landscape that you initially got into this in. I got into it in Missouri. Okay. So, uh, Missouri has a lot of, uh, we have a lot of crops, pasture ground, some rolling hills, a lot of, uh, big timber, uh, you in patches you that are kind of cut up a lot of streams uh through the landscape yeah i mean not to be not to sound completely ignorant to you um but you know we had um we had uh pat corker in on here uh, another uh hunting buddy of jeremy's who you know he's a kansas hunter and I told Cat, uh, and you guys check out that episode with Pat. Um, it's cool if you're interested in sitting up your own whitetail spot. But, um, you know, what's interesting, it's like, you know, when I think of Missouri and I think of Kansas, I think even where my mom is, Arkansas, you know, these, you know, they're in country music, they'll call them flyover states. You know, in my mind, I just think of flat and in the middle. Um, so when you're talking about rolling hill streams and big timber, I just, um, I'm like, Missouri? Really? Um, if, if you could, uh, if you could postcard Missouri real quick and, and maybe just even paint in the frame of like, um, what turkeys are looking for in your opinion, in terms of habitat, um, if you just continue on that description, like, um, you know, rolling Hills, not, not what I would picture when I hear Missouri. Turkeys are always looking for an area with big roosting trees. Okay. So that they that they roost at night, um, typically along a creek, with a, an area that they can fly that they can see and fly down into. A lot of them will roost on the edge of uh, like pasture ground, okay. So that they will feel safe when they come down. They can see everything around them. So I'm that's th- kind of an ideal spot for a turkey. I'm almost thinking like airport looking, like you want that. He wants to be on that um, that air traffic control tower when there needs to be a bit of a runway with a stream to the left. Yep. He wants to have a, an opening that way and, uh, you'll have the timber so that the pins can travel to him and then they'll come out and that's what he wants is his runway to fly down where everything is. Uh, it's a very, very nervous time for them in the morning. They're very cautious about coming down because we're not the only predator that's after them. Oh yeah, you got some. Uh, you got coyotes and and you got coyotes. I'd imagine um, tearing them up in Missouri. Coy- coyotes and bob bobcats are probably the number one predator against uh, the turkey. Oh, I gotcha. Very cool. Um, to continue on on the habitat questions, um, if you're going to be looking for these, um, the the meadow's easy to find, right? Uh, the open space and even the timber. But if there's a particular set of uh, roost trees to look for, I mean, um, pines, big oaks. I mean, for for a layman like myself, if you know, I just think big tree. Uh, growing up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, any tree was a big tree, um, and 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 you'd be happy to see it. But uh, what particular trees are we looking for? Anything? Uh, sycamores. They love sycamores. A lot of uh, big branches that come out from the sides, uh, so it gives them a lot of roosting spots. 
Very cool. Well, sweet. So, um, sycamores uh, bedded up to open to an open meadow. Uh, nice little patch of timber. Jeremy, how, how's the how's the sycamore scouting for us over here in Western uh, Washington? I, I don't think I've ever seen one. <laughs> <laughs> they like the big ponderosa pines or big big Doug firs over here, and then um, our open areas typically are clear cuts or. Um, there's some, some oak flats, you know, those, what we call scrub oaks over here where they probably, the whole tree doesn't get six, eight inches in diameter, but they'll, um, they'll roost in those sometimes as well. Yeah. And I can even, even, uh, my first actual, now I, I told you Chris before, I've been probably at this hunting game three years hard, but before that we were living in West Point, New York, and I would jump up and do some, uh, a buddy of mine, just like you said, he invited me on a turkey hunt and, um, uh, he spent a good bit of time identifying just roost trees by just the damage the turkey would do underneath. I mean, the 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 base of the roost tree just looked like a. You talk about a place that needed a where a toilet paper could do some work. Um, they just you know they look like a mess. Uh, they're scratched up. You know, there's um, turkey scat all over. Um, uh, telltale signs of a roost tree. I mean, they're, are they hard to miss when you come up on one? Uh, typically, no. Just just exactly what you talked about. You'll find a lot of uh, uh, turkey feces underneath them. Uh, typically, those areas, like you said, they'll be scratched up through the leaves where they're scratching and, and um, getting nuts, bugs, or anything else before they fly up at night or, or when they fly down in the morning. You'll find some feathers, typically some of their breast feathers that'll be down underneath there and most of the time, except for during the breeding season, um, the turkeys will roost in the same area and the same trees typically every night. Now, the gobbler will travel through the spring, and he, he'll be in a different area sometimes, typically not too far away, but he won't always be roosting in the exact same spot because wherever he ended that night following the hen, that's where he's going to end up. It's kind of like... Um... It's kind of like how I used to spend my evenings in college. You exactly. Ju- yeah, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. You, you. you you lay your head where your body lies, right? So I hear you there. Um, that makes sense to me. Um, but but that will that how big will that general that that's an, that's a really cool question. Um, so you know, um, Jeremy and I we were turkey hunting last year. We were in a spot and we we're kind of we had a little bit of success and we kind of stayed in a in an area and then when things got quiet we were kind of moving about but um over a typical breeding season let's let's paint the picture without hunters on the landscape first um without much pressure in your opinion what you've seen in maybe a low pressure situation will how big will that breeding range be during that that typical breeding season that spring typically a turkey will stay within a one mile radius okay um, and for the and most the majority of it, he'll probably be within um, within a half a mile. Very cool. Almost all the time. Now, will hunting pressure change that, or does it necessarily more or less, in your opinion, uh, change the behavior of the turkey where they just go quiet? It'll it'll change the behavior more than it'll push him out. Gotcha. So they're pretty they're. 
or so turkeys maybe are a little bit like Roosevelt elk in the sense that they're not migratory; they're they're more home bodies. They like their they like their home base once they find it. Yes. Very cool. Well, that that's food, that's food for thought, Jeremy. I mean, I know that um I know that last year we you know we put down that one tom. We were pretty sure we had the other gobble go go off to the other spot, but we just couldn't locate. And then we spent we spent the next day putting blisters on your feet. Um, uh, but <laughs> we sure did. <laughs> but uh, no, we we covered ground, and, and to be honest, we covered great ground. It's beautiful, right? But um. No, yeah. Does that give you food for thought in terms of um, you know, when you when you hear a gobble on one morning, is it is it better in your opinion maybe to to pick apart that spot as opposed to to chasing, you know, what do they say? It's uh the hardest part about hunting elk, you know, don't don't leave elk to find elk, right? They're hard enough to find as it is. I mean, turkeys the same. Right. Yeah, turkeys are the same. That that tom's going to stay in that particular area and the best place to be is between where he's at in the morning and where he wants to go yeah <laughs> i agree <laughs> easy easier said than done right um but uh but that but that's the fun of it right i mean the needle in the haystack i mean you know even going back to our initial chat about corona like at the end of this i think we'll come out fine and at the end if you can look at your family and you know, you're, you're a little happier and maybe you slow things down. I think there's some positive, but man, I, the thing that I'm getting most addicted to in this hunting game is my, uh, the, the hard, you know, it's like what Tom Hanks said to, to, uh, Judy Davis in league of their own, you know, the hard is what makes it great, you know, in terms of baseball is where he said it. But to me, the hunting is the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. And there's so many crazy factors in it, but the hard and that that finding that spot and that scouting it out is just it's it's a great puzzle to be a part of even when you don't experience success. Hunting is the biggest um, puzzle that is out there. There's so many different sides of it. So much education that needs to take place, and every single animal is a little different. Mm. Yeah. So, um, but, but getting into the differences again, back, back with Turkey to bring it back into hunting, you know, you know, here out West, when you're hunting elk, you can get into certain things with thermals and, and different facing slopes to maybe make some predictions on where the animal might be at a certain time of day. And you just alluded to, Hey, you know, the, one of the best ways to Turkey hunt is find that roost tree and then kind of predict where he's going and get in between. Um, are there any ways to, to predict that? I mean, does that meadow that you found that, that roost tree on, is that an indicator of the stream? I mean, in your opinion, doing this for, you know, 25 plus years and guiding some folks and putting down some birds of your own, I mean, how do you predict that? Uh, typically the birds will, uh, when he flies down in the morning, they will typically go back into the timber. So, They'll be in the timber and moving around in there till they feel comfortable to come out into the field. Most of the time, if you if you want, if you can't get on that bird in the morning before he hooks up with his hens, your your next best shot is to start glassing fields to find a tom around, and they'll be hitting the fields typically between eight thirty and nine o'clock in the morning. So crack of dawn, you're in the timber. Um, if you haven't gotten one at first, before first light, you got to get into a, you got to find a high perch and just glass some glass, uh, glass up a big old meadow and hope for the best. 
Well, you can still do your locating. Um, if you're on a bird in the morning and you're working him, you yeah. know, sometimes, you know, it can happen extremely fast. Sometimes it might take, for a smart bird that is uh, call shy, it might take two hours to get him into range. So you're, so you Every, stay on one you're chatting with in the timber, but um, in the, let's say that, that scenario, you, you've scouted a roost tree, but he's already quiet in that early going. Um, how, how quickly will you switch plans and get into that field and start glassing? I, I typically won't go look into a field till probably eight thirty, nine okay. o'clock. If I, if it's really quiet and I'm not getting a lot of response. And one thing that you also need to understand, if you know that there's a Tom in the area, just because he doesn't talk to you, doesn't mean that he's not coming. Sure. No, that, that's a... That's an that's an interesting point. I mean, you know, I think I think the um, I think the vocalizations are a, a real blessing to hear them, and they can help a lot. But they're also a curse in the sense where, yeah, you you really do you really do go, oh man, right there. I mean, to I I had that experience with uh, a, an elk stalk I was on that I've talked about on the podcast where you know there was a group I stalked into, but little did i know there was a group right there in this timber i was about 15 yards from from two calves that busted me out so it's usually it's usually the one you don't see that ruins the hunt yes same way with turkey it's like you're thinking okay the bird (laughs) just shut up he's gone and you stand up to move and then you hear the uh, famous putt and game (laughs) over I have done that so many times. It's so frustrating where I'll just sit there and I'll be sitting there for an hour and I'm like, okay, I'm done. And then I'll get up and start walking away. And then all of a sudden I see them and they see me and then they just, they're gone. That's the thing I'm surprised about. I mean, they're, they're pretty, they're agile birds. I mean, um, they, they can, they can scat and move when they want to. It's not just, it's just, it's not just puffed up feathers and, and hisses and pops. I mean, uh, when they want to, uh, when they want to put the, when they want to put the spurs to the dirt, um, they're gone. Yeah. Yes, they they can get out of there quickly on the ground, or they can get out in the air. Well, and it also speaks to, I mean, their superpower. Um, aside from just being cool and alien looking and having heads that change colors, um, <laughs> I mean, the eyesight's pretty incredible. Um, so as as folks are gearing up, I mean, how important is camo and, and being outfitted properly, or is it more important just to, to stand still and be patient? Both. Uh, camo is very important. You want to be as covered as much as possible um, with, you know, a face mask, your hands, because the turkey's eyesight is his number one defense. Okay. Unlike a elk or a deer, the turkey's eyesight is unbelievable. And you never want to make quick, fast movements, especially if you, you can see him. That's when you really slow things down. You're very cautious about when you move, when he's coming in. Um, typically try to make sure that he's got some, there's some cover at some point between you. If you have to make a small move to move your gun one way or the other turkey's eyesight you'll find out you can be a hundred yards and you might turn your head and he'll start popping and 
see you later. Yeah, Jeremy and I, for our first hunt of the year, um, we're, we're hatching this plan to take the boys out for their first hunt. And mine, mine turns nine in April. Uh, Jeremy, how old's Titus? At eight? He turns eight. In yeah, April? he's eight years old. Yeah, so I. Th- Jeremy brings it up. I mean, it's going to be the first from for my son. It's going to be his first camping trip. It's just going to be a short hunt. We're going to pull a weekend out. But as I think about it, you know, I watched my son. He was at work with me yesterday. I snuck him into the school, um, and they were just my kids for three hours. Just went berserk in the gym, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, guys, are you going to get tired, please? But I'm just like wondering, like, how do I keep them? how do I keep them still for any bit of time? Just because I know that these guys, uh, you know, turkeys, their eyesight's incredible and it seems to be movement and that they, they, that they pick up so quickly. Um, Hey, uh, you got a story about getting busted by a turkey when you thought, you know, I guess there's a cool t-shirt that meat eater put out, you know, what can you get caught, you know, uh, turkeys to shock gobble to, but I bet you can make the same t-shirt for what they can see in terms of just picking up movement, whether it's an eyelash falling off your cheek or, um, a blink but um have you how many times have you been busted out chris the number's huge <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, well over a hundred times very good and well over a hundred yeah. so and i had three boys that uh, i took hunting growing up and if if you want to have success with kids the best thing that you can do is have a pop-up blind, like a double bull blind. Okay. It's going to take a little more work and a little more research from you. You need to go out and locate those birds in the area that they're at, kind of figure out somewhat of their travel, their normal travel pattern, and set the blind up. Because inside the blind, the kids can play in the dirt. They can do that. The blinds do not bother the turkeys whatsoever. Oh, great advice. Uh and you can get away from, with a lot of movement inside the blind. Oh, very cool. You know, and that's that's a that's a cool tip. And um, you know, it's it probably with our two kids, they're crazy. <laughs> I taught Titus when he was a <laughs> kindergartner, and and my son. They're both super active little boys, and you know, you're always caught between uh, do we want success? What do I want to get out of this? You know. Um, in those early days of even taking your sons out, one, how old were they? And two, was it important for you to just get them in the woods or was it more important to just get them to experience success in the hunt? And it, I'd imagine there, no matter where you started, there was a transition to the other. But um, uh, just your general thoughts on that. Well, my my number one goal was to get them outside and have them to enjoy nature and kind of watch, you know, God's creation unfold in front of them in the morning. But number two is I think it's pretty important to have some sort of success, whether it's seeing the bird mm. in the morning, hearing the turkey gobble, um, pretty close to initially to keep them interested. And then have them show that it's not something that happens every single time that you're out there and that it's something that's earned so that, you know, maybe their second trip or third trip or fourth trip out, they get to, they shoot a bird, you know, they have some success, but, you know, keep them interested as far as we're, we're seeing the birds, we're hearing birds, you know, and they'll need to know that just like everything else in life, there's some ups and some downs sometimes. Um, 
success is to succeed is, is very difficult. Sometimes it's handed to you. Yeah, sometimes luck pays out, right? Um, there was a when yeah. we when we were living in West Point, New York, it was cool because we were. I don't know if you've ever been to West Point, but it's a really neat place. And we lived um, behind the football stadium on this uh, top of this mountain. And between our house and the football stadium, there was this really steep mountain. Um, And at the bottom of the mountain was a creek, and it was really big timber. Now, there wasn't a big meadow anywhere to speak of, but all the time we would hear during the spring, we would hear gobblers down there. And um, we would see turkey a lot running around West Point, and you'd see him strutting up and getting all blowed up and um, not too far from our house. And it got to the point where in the spring it would get so consistent the kids like to just get up in the morning and they would just want to listen. And then their curiosity would be, can we jump the fence and go down there and see? And we never um, – they were really young at that point, and we didn't. And, again, I wasn't into hunting, and I didn't know really the hunting regs on West Point and what you could do and some things. But we didn't take it that far in there. But the kids did get super interested in just hearing in hearing the um, in hearing the gobbler. Uh, um, so so – I, and I like that. I like your thought on this kind of inch them along, you know, and experience different parts of that. Um, I, th- I think that that's a great. How many boys do you have, Chris? Three. And have they all come up turkey hunters like you? Um, believe it or not, none of them. <laughs> okay. They 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 all enjoyed it growing up. Um, and I don't know if it's just the phase of life that they're at where a couple of them are, you know, starting, botting houses and working and uh, doing some things. My my middle son still likes to go some, and my youngest son goes occasionally. But they're not as passionate about it as I am. Hmm. Uh, you know, they're, they're doing their thing, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I, I remember uh, even my journey into hunting was about just getting that invitation. So, um, uh, you know, uh, it is, you know, boys boys will be boys, right? And when they become men, they do their own thing. And I think in a, in a, in a weird way that that's, a, um, that's probably what you want more than anything. Um, but uh, to, yeah. to spin this back into a turkey talk, um, if you don't mind, I'd like to get back into that that quiet that quiet gobbler and um the, the whole idea jeremy jeremy's a pretty good jeremy's a pretty good uh caller uh called well enough to uh put me on a bird which is um which is saying something and uh but uh I'd, I'd like to get into the the calling technique because even more than elk bugling it seems like it's a super specific thing i mean i heard jason phelps talk about um you know he was talking about how he even makes the calls and um He's he's had requests from people like I'm a left sided so and what other and you know I like it pulled I like the latex pulled like this and it fits there but um how specific and we can start with the do you use calls or do you, do you, do you kind of free call it and make the sounds just with your mouth? Um, I use calls for the most part. I can do a little bit of stuff with my mouth, but um, I prefer to use a uh, mouth call. A reed call. I like the uh, triple reed, the cutters. That's what uh, fits me the best that I can have the most versatility with. I also uh, use an aluminum slate call that I really, really like, and I found a few different types of strikers. Um, 
that I prefer. I've got the polycarbonate one that uh, with aluminum, in my opinion, sounds sounds the best. But you know, if you want to get into the process and um, you know what it takes when you go out in the morning and and what you listen for and how to start your conversation with a turkey. I think that's probably the most important. I think a little a lot of guys get excited when they hear one and they get a little aggressive. Mm. And and maybe they turn that bird off. Especially an older educated bird, he'll just he he might gobble on the roost nonstop and when he hits the ground, he's just silent. And and he'll typically end up going the other way. Hmm. But but it, if we get into the conversation of of kind of the process in the morning and what you listen for, so at least in Missouri, and I don't know in Seattle, do you guys have crows? Oh, yeah. Uh, actually, out here, you know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. I think the the further you get west, you start to get into uh, Ravenland, where our crow, the crows out here, I, and I say that, I mean, they're huge. Yeah, we crows, ravens. I mean, uh, um, we could just say there's a lot of big old blackbirds. We got a ton of them. Have, have you ever mistaken one for a turkey? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but aren't they? They're like mortal enemies, though, aren't they? Oh yeah. So um, yeah, they typically they don't like each other. Yeah. And same way with owls. Owls and turkeys don't like each other either. So in the morning, typically, if you want something to go as a guideline before you ever start calling, now that turkey, when it starts to crack dawn in the morning, he'll start gobbling early. You don't want to start calling at that particular point. You want to just sit there and listen because what he's doing is he is he's saying to all the hens that are in the area, I'm over here. This is where I'm at. When you hit the ground, you come to me because hmm. that's what nature is. Nature is that he calls, and the hens come to him, and then he flies down and meets them. That's the way it normally works, unless there's no girls interested in him, and um, you know he has a bad day like Jeremy has sometimes. <laughs> well, that's that's my college life. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I hear you. It, maybe, maybe it was his college life. So. <laughs> In the morning, what I'd like to do, I, I use that crow. When when you hear the first crow call in the morning, now you're good to call. So do you you when wait you, the, you wait for the crow and then you talk. Now does that does that where that crow call come from give any indication of where that turkey may be, or is he still, in your opinion, where he probably close to where he put that first gobble off? Uh, yeah, he'll be where he's gobbled. He'll still be in the tree particular at that. He'll be in the tree still at that time when the first, when you hear the first crow crow in the morning, that gives you, it's just kind of a, a natural timeline that you can say, okay, I'm safe to do a little bit of calling. Hmm. And what I like to do in the morning is if I'm within, you know, I, if I feel like I'm within a hundred yards of that bird, what I like to do is, uh, I just do some light tree yelps it's just kind of like a real light yelp with very little rasp just a little bit but you'll hear there's a there's a dominance on the hen side also so there'll be what they call um a boss hen she'll be the one that calls in the morning and 
you won't hear a lot of different hens cutting each other off. If she's talking, everybody else is typically quiet. Hmm. And then if you challenge her, it makes her mad and it's kind of fun. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. She'll get it, it, irritated and you'll get them really getting off and just screaming at each other. And then that usually fires that Tom up and then he just is gobbling, you know, double gobble or triple gobble at a time. But it's typically lighter, softer is better. So they let, have very good hearing, and they can hear from quite a ways, and they can pinpoint exactly to the tree that you're in by when you're where you're when you're calling. Very cool. Now, now, why would the hen be the boss hen? What is she trying to communicate when she's the only one talking? Well, she's the leader. So what she's doing is saying uh, she pretty much gathers up the other hens that are in the area. That's the way it, typically in the fall, you know, you'll see them all bunched up. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> She'll be the one she's talking, saying, hey, it's time to get up, everybody. Um, we're going to meet at six o'clock for breakfast down here. I see a couple of crickets. I don't, I don't know what she says. <laughs> they're probably sounds good. If they're like the women I know, they're talking about each other. I mean, to be honest with you. So. Yeah. Yeah. Your shoes stink. Yeah. Um, I hate your outfit. Oh, did you see the one with the beard? Hear- yeah. yeah. Do, you- Do you hear Tommy over there? Doesn't yeah. he sound cute? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's the kind of stuff they're saying too. Oh, uh, that's great. But no, that's that's an interesting technique. So so I mean, if if you're setting up your initial maybe half morning hunt, it's like okay, you know, identify root, identify the roost tree, listen for gobbles, and then you know, you know, uh, wait for a crow, and then uh, then uh, talk shit to a hen. I mean, you could do it. I mean, that sounds that sounds like a good morning to me. Yeah, you you just uh, you know from that point you just carry on and. Um, if, if you're comfortable, I carry a, uh, a wing actually off of a tom that I had that I dried out into position. I'll actually emulate a fly down, and it'll sound exactly like a, a turkey flying down out of the trees. Um, at that point, you can do a fly down cackle if you're comfortable, which is uh, when you hear a turkey come off there, it's a very nervous time for them, and, the, and it's like a quick cutting that's kind of more like a, a cackle that they'll pop, 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 and and then they'll come down, fly down to the ground. Yeah. So interesting enough, I, um, you know, when I I killed that turkey last year with Jeremy's help, uh, I saved everything. I have the spurs, I have the beard, um, and I have the wings, um, in my garage, um, where I train. Uh, so you can put that to use. Now I I didn't, and I have the tail, uh, and uh, I have the fan. Excuse me, the fan. But uh, I didn't put any use to drying them out in a particular way. Um, did I screw that up, or did, did did they have to be open to make that something worthwhile to, to bring with me into the woods? I mean, what do you mean by if, uh, how they had to, like, kind of just like they would be flying? Oh, no, no. Yeah, yeah, you know, you want to be able to pack it. So if you've got it closed up, that that's fine. But did, did you take the meat out of the uh, wing? Yes. Okay, then then you're then you're fine. We should be good. And I just put it in the back of my turkey vest, and it's something that you can also use to scratch into the leaves. You know, because a turkey will always be scratching during the day. Mm-hmm. You know that if you've got leaves around, they'll be scratching. 
anything that you can do to sound more lifelike, like a bird, the more success that you're going to have. Yeah, that's interesting. It's just, I mean, again, I, comparing it to elk hunting or, you know, whitetail hunting, it's like, you know, you, Jeremy brought along a, um, you know, you want to, you want to rattle, you want to rattle one in, you know what I mean? You want to, you pick up a, pick up a big old piece of timber and start breaking it against a tree because you want to sound like the animal. It seems like, uh, it seems like that makes too much sense to me. Yeah. So, um, like I said, if you, it, whatever you can do to be more lifelike to the bird, the more confidence he's going to have to come in to, uh, to speculate. And, and what you're, what you're, all you're trying to do is reverse nature. You're, you're trying to tell him that you're the hottest, sexiest thing out there and that he has got to come and see you. Well, that's because what, uh, you're ready. You want to have kids. Yeah. Well, that's why I do all that work in the garage, you know. I mean, that's what I'm, I'm trying oh, to, trying to tell know? the wife. <laughs> So it's just and a, that's what that Tom does is he blows himself up and yep. then he puts that fan out and says, See? <laughs> Told you. I'm the king. <laughs> yeah. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. Watch my head change colors. Yeah, that's right. It's and and the the mating behavior is so crazy. I mean, when you can catch one, um so so the hunt last year, um, where we put one down was just so fast we didn't get to see the whole show. Um, you know, as soon as he came in, um, as fast as he came in, as, as, as fast as he was down. Um, but we didn't get to see the whole show, which was a, which was kind of a bummer, but that whole spitting, popping, clicking, blowing up. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy scenario. Um, uh, I mean, you've talked about being, or you, you mentioned being busted out over a hundred times, but, but. How many times have you seen the full dance of these birds just doing their thing? And does it ever get old? Um, several hundred times, and it never, ever, ever gets old. Um, I've had I had a pretty cool hunt last year with one of one of the customers that uh, he's been turkey hunting for a, a few years and hasn't had any success. So we went out one morning to his farm. I took uh, what they call a pretty boy decoy, which is a, a blown up tom, and I actually use a real uh, fan out of a jake that is in there. So it's got a fan, so it's pretty lifelike, realistic. And I take a hen and I have her laying down like he is breeding her. Mm. So we we were working some birds in the morning. We were having a lot of activity, and and two toms came in together. And as soon as they seen that big bird, the one that was breeding the hen, they both ran over and just started flogging the snot out of him. So they're <laughs> they're at 15 yards, and we are laughing because, I mean, they are destroying my decoy, which I guess isn't very funny. <laughs> but we ended up, at that point, I, I started cutting at him to get them to raise their heads up because you never, ever want to shoot a bird when he's strutting. Is that just because they're all blown up and all feather? And it's just... And and a lot of the pellets will bounce off. Your main goal is you got to shoot a turkey in the face. Yeah, that's right. You want want to get his head and neck stretched out. So if you'll cut at him, it's a natural sound, and then he'll he'll look aware. So I told him on three, 
I said, I'm going to cut. And I said, on three, we're going to shoot. So I, I started cutting at the birds. They raised their head. I go, one, two, three. And, and we ended up dumping both of those toms. Very cool. But it was, it's always something different, something fun to watch them come in and, uh, you know, establish their dominance. And they're, they are probably one of the prettiest birds on the planet besides their alien-looking head. Yeah, but even their alien looking head to me, it's it's pretty in a it's pretty in a wild, unique way. I mean, they're that's the thing about a wild turkey. Like, um it's I'll tell you an interesting story. Um my my parents in law, my wife's parents, um, you know, God bless them, their daughter um rescued a domestic turkey that fell off of a food truck and it was still alive. And this it was the ugliest thing, and it sat in their it sat in their barn. And to 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 really get interesting with you, the the father found it raping a bunny one day. Like it's just there. It was just a, not a happy animal, but like a wild turkey. Um, it's something to behold, man. Like they're they're really cool animals. Um, uh, and and even when I brought the feathers home and the talons, like they're cool things that my kids even you know they 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 play with. I think it would be really cool to have that experience and uh for you chris you pulled off you pulled off the double um was that something that's hard to coordinate with the newbie a guy who's not put a bird down before or did, did you say he had killed turkey before oh he he had not um but he was a fairly experienced hunter he's done a lot of deer hunting and things like that so it wasn't terribly difficult with him you just when you have somebody do you always make sure that they want to aim at the bottom of the turkey's head because okay. the neck and the head shot, you know, like I say, I like to shoot him in the face. It's, that's the that's where you're going to kill that bird every single time. If you try to shoot him in the body and you're more than 15 yards away, you're probably not. You might end up killing that bird, but you will never, ever find that bird. Yeah. They'll go bury themselves in the timber somewhere, and, and it's uh, game's over. There, so it's a pretty tough species to recover if you, if you don't get it right down yes yeah they're they can bury themselves in a brush pile and it it's you know you're not going to track one mm. they don't leave a great blood trail like an elk or a, or a uh, white tail they're difficult to track if you don't put them down where they're at well very cool so jeremy i've i've been talking chris's uh, uh ear off a little bit and i'm just i'm super um I'm super, uh, I'm intrigued by, it. you know, when you get a hunter with a lot of experience, you know, you pick their brain, but from a calling perspective, I and mean, you've been a little deeper into this, I mean, uh, any, 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 any questions, uh, from your perspective about, to Chris about like, uh, the calling pattern or, or, or whatnot? Well, if you got a bird, um, maybe that's, you know, you, you've located them <clears throat> and, um, as you're getting closer to him, he's getting further away from you. Is there a tactic or anything that you could do to try to turn him around and come back towards you? Um, yes. Turn around and go the other way yourself. <laughs> it's game over, huh? No, no, not at all. Because if you're depending if he's following hens or not, what I would typically do in that scenario, if, I, if I'm trying to get to that bird and he seems to, and he keeps going further away from me, but yet he's still gobbling, hmm. he's interested. He he wants to see you, 
But a lot of times those mature gobblers that are smart, if that hen keeps moving like that and not finding him and keeps calling to, in his opinion, too much, if you turn around and start walking away from him and call, that a lot of times turn that bird around. And what I'll do sometimes in that situation is I'll do what they call a fighting purr and sound like a couple of uh, birds fighting, and I'll gobble. And if it's a dominant bird in that area, that will 90% of the time will turn him around and it'll change his thought process. And then you can start to work him again. Oh, okay. So you're almost playing hard to get. Exactly. <clears throat> I mean, you. everybody wants something they can't have. Sure. <laughs> That's well put. <laughs> no, very. And he's going, where do you think you're going? Very cool. So, I mean, in a way, if he's moving away from you and you're just coming with you, coming with him, he's just going to keep going because you're making it easy. And so, nothing, and all you're going to do is continue to push that bird. Yeah. Yeah. Because he might have heard something that made him uncomfortable, or might have seen a little bit of movement somewhere that he wasn't sure that it wasn't maybe a coyote or or anything else. He he's still goblin, so he definitely didn't identify you. But something might have made him uncomfortable. Well, and and like you said in the beginning, you're trying to replicate nature. And in, in the true sense of this, when the tom gobbles, the hens come to him anyway. So if he's if he's gobbling to give his location and he wants to go somewhere, he's going to continue on that route. But in the same way that you want to replicate nature, men want what men want. And if if he's got a sense that the girls are over there and they're moving away, he'll move towards them. I mean, is is that a is that a is that a solid summation of of kind of that process? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, I got a question for you. It's kind of a, a a speculative one. Like, I mean, honestly, if if you could get inside a turkey's head, I mean, and and know exactly what the heck they're doing and thinking, I mean, how interested would you be, Chris? Would I be interested to yeah, see I mean, in their head? Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I mean, we, we sit here oh. and speculate on all these conversations, but I mean, um, I mean, it just leaves it to a really curious place where you think you know, but you really never do. Um, so I guess, the, I guess the question in a fun way is, like, is the wondering as much fun as even the potential of really knowing what they're thinking? Oh, yeah, you have to analyze every situation, and you yeah. have to learn from every one of them. And that's what you, you have to try to think of what they're thinking about. We we all know that there's one thing on his mind that time of year. Sure. And it's just like we were when we were teenagers. That, that's, you, <laughs> you have a one-track mind. But yet, he doesn't want to die and if he's got girls in front of him who might not be super receptive but they're live they're right there he's got a shot sure and you're going to have to convince him that you're ready and willing and uh try to change his uh you know his a number one girlfriend there to become uh slide in on the back door yeah it's a and it, you know and it, it's a weird scenario too, I think a hunter has to, you know, cause you know, you look at most hunters, um, that I know, you know, they're, they're guys who want to go out and do 
guy things. But then as they go out and do this guy thing to get the Tom in, they have to act like a female hen. So it's just a it's a it's a it's a weird <laughs> scenario at times, right? I mean, but but it's it's fun, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's definitely fun. I never thought about. It. I was thinking like a woman. Yeah, yeah. No, that's it. So, so you know, to a, to a, to appeal to your old lady out there, or anyone listening. I mean, there's the appeal. Listen, I'm I need to go out turkey hunting so I can understand your perspective more. You know what I mean? So um, that that's what we're doing here on this. But um, now, oh, Chris, it, it sounds like you've it sounds like you've you've been doing this a long time and you've you've developed a game plan. Um, do do you do you go out with that consistent game plan every time, or do you do you let the scenario unfold in front of you? Or I'd imagine it might be a little bit of both. You being at this so long, it is a little bit of both. Um, you just have to uh, nothing. Nothing will replace the experience of sitting out and listening to the birds and watching the birds and kind of watching what they they do Mm -hmm. but you you have to be able to adapt into a situation it's none of them are not none of them they're not all going to be the same but you 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 learn to look for things that okay why is that bird hanging up you know maybe he's interested you see him out there in the field but you can't get him to break about 80 yards well what you might not see is that he's got hens back behind him over there or maybe yesterday there was a bobcat that tried to attack him on that side of the field. You you never really know what happened on that that point. But don't ever just get up to blow that bird out of, out of there, but maybe come back tomorrow and maybe set up a little different if you can't get something done today. But, yeah, you have to learn to adapt to each and every situation. And don't be scared to try something new. Well, and I do have one question. You, you brought, you talked the, the bobcat. The bobcat um, comment got me thinking a bit, and even your crow comment got me thinking a bit. Like, is there a telltale turkey sign um, beside you know? And it could be the crow, it could be the bobcat, but is there like a telltale turkey sign that is um is sign that most folks wouldn't think to look for? You know, we all see feathers. We could see. Um, the scat we could you know see what scratch marks look like but you know i never really thought to you know it would never have crossed my mind to be like okay wait to call until i hear the crow but um it, what's that piece of turkey sign that you've come up with that that or seen that that's really not turkey sign that that might put you on a bird later in the day and i would say from 10 o'clock on if you happen to see turkey buzzards circling kind of low in an area they'll circle turkeys hmm. in a field very cool so a lot of times you can see and they're like hey there's probably some birds out in that field and a lot and most of the time when you get there they're typically typically is now that's that's in missouri hmm. very cool well well solid stuff solid stuff um Solid stuff for me, Chris. Um, uh, I, I think it's, I think it's a cool hunt. It, it's a, it's a, it's you know, like many things, it's just that that changing of the season. It's it's getting you geared up. I mean, I've kind of fallen in love with with elk hunting, but you know, having turkey been the first species I've been successful with, and getting into some gobbles. I mean, um, it's just as thrilling. Um, 
Don, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us here on a Saturday morning. No, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a good time. Uh, yeah, um, uh, you know, it's, it's it's fun to, <laughs> you know, when you can have, uh, I don't know, we, we're going to keep this G-rated, but, um, you know, you know what these animals are getting into, and when you can have these conversations about these things, you know, um, in code, it's always a good time. That, that's exactly right. You know, I, like I told my boys growing up, the death of all men is the same thing. The white-tailed deer get it that way, the elk do, the turkeys. That's right. And that's when guys are stupid, too. That's exactly right. That's <laughs> right. Well, a little bit about Chris, too, man. He shot a – in his in the past, he shot a 420 bull, and he's shot a couple 200-plus deer in the last couple of years. He's a – He's a hunting machine. All right. Well, we got to get Chris into camp out here, Jeremy. Chris, what's it going to take to get you into Washington? I bet. I mean, are you look? You've been doing this thing in Missouri for a long time, killing birds. But I mean, do you, do you actually go out and uh, take on new territories? It's still fun for you to do that, or is it like hey, I got my spot? I'm going to stick with my spot. Oh no, I take on new territories. I I've um, I go over to Kansas and I'll bird hunt over in Kansas. Um, uh, I've been to Colorado elk hunting as jeremy attested to i've been to new mexico uh mule deer hunting i've been bear hunting in minnesota wild hogs um and my method of hunting is i prefer archery hunt i i 90 percent of what i kill is archery very cool love bow hunting have you got turkey on a bow yes and, and for anybody who wants to take on a turkey with a bow, the hardest part of it is being able to draw back without them seeing you. But two, if when you go to shoot a turkey with a bow, do not try to shoot them center chest. Aim at the very top of their hip. Hip. Because if you take out his hip, yeah, you still have vitals there if you have an expandable broadhead. If you take out his legs... He can't run and he can't fly. But right above his hip will take that joint out and you'll still catch vitals and that that will kill him every single time. Very cool. And I imagine if you get a nice pass through or get a dart stuck between, you know, wedging his hips, he, he's going to lose some of that pep in his step. Yeah, he, he usually just flops around there for just a little bit and then you kind of like go pick him up. No, very cool. <laughs> No, well, and I, well, I bring that up too because you know, you know, Jeremy, um, you know, when we put a bird down, you know, when you're new to hunting, like I am, you have this, you have this linear idea that you shoot it and it dies, or you shoot it and it misses. But you know, the fact is, it's not that clean sometimes. You know, and and there may be things that you have to do uh, when you show up on the bird, or um, you know, and, and that and that happens too. So. Um, that, and and turkeys aren't to be messed with. I mean, they're spurred up, and um, they are they're still tough wild animals. Have you have you ever had any interesting incidents with them when you've come up on um, like a shot or one that's still kind of got some spunk to it? Yes, I, I had a uh, gentleman that I took from uh, South Africa on a turkey hunt here in Missouri, and he had never turkey hunted before, and we we brought a gobbler in. He ended up shooting the gobbler, and when he put his gun down, he went running down there to go grab the bird, and the bird had uh, probably inch-and-a-half spurs and had a very nice point on him, 
Well, it kicked him and stuck the spur through his hand. Mm. Oh. And he found out that was a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's but, your... You what, know, it's what? just like, it's going to flop. Typically, when you shoot that bird, it's going to flop around a little bit, and it's going to have some natural nerves and kicks. So I, I would tep- typically go over there, and I will, I will, if the bird's flopping, I will step on its neck and hold it down that way and then maybe, you know, grab underneath the wings and sure. kind of compress in the breast area that, until it quits flopping. Then I'll pick him up by his feet, you know. But, yeah, you just have to watch those spurs because yeah. they are very, very dangerous. No, they are, especially the older they get, right? I mean, they've been honing those things for, for years. and uh, Well, not years. I mean, what's an old turkey to you? I mean, three years? Is that an old turkey? Uh, an old turkey is um, six years. Yeah. Um, and, and the way that you can tell the age of the turkey, spurs tell the truth. Okay. Beard beard, beard really doesn't matter. I mean, you're going to have the juvenile birds that will have, you know, they can have anywhere from a three-inch to a six-inch beard, you know, typically um, with the jakes. And then a tom, you know, a, two, a, a two-year-old tom can have a 10-inch beard. It That really doesn't tell anything. A turkey spurs tells what his lifespan is. So the biggest the biggest set of spurs that I've ever got is two inches on a turkey, Ooh, which big. I'm guessing that bird was probably seven years old. Hmm. Um, 31 pounds, two-inch spurs, and, and he happened to have a 13-inch beard. But That's a big bird. Cool. Yeah, it was a giant, giant, giant bird. But uh, spurs tell the truth. That's how you can tell the age of a turkey. If you get a spur, if you get a bird with inch and a quarter spurs, he's he could possibly be three to four years old. You get to inch and a half and inch and five eight spurs, that bird's probably um, four to five years old. And then when you get past uh, inch and five eight, and you go to inch and three quarters, inch and seven eight spurs, that bird's six to seven. And anything above that's a miracle. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so, uh, you, 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 you're looking for the tom you can uh, you can pick your teeth with, huh? Is that what you're looking for? A, a spur? And, we call them limb limb hangers. If you can take him by those spurs and hang him on a limb and swing him, that is a stud. That's what we want. We want some, so we're looking. For, I want a limb swinger. We're looking for limb limb hangers, Jeremy. That's what we need in camp. Um, the last question I'll ask you, Chris, having been around so many birds and, and gotten so many, once you get them in the freezer, um, is there a particular preparation um, that, that you think's best for wild turkey? Um, typically on a wild turkey, 90% of the meat is in the breast. Yeah. Um, and I breast the birds out. Okay. And, and I just use the breast. I've tried to do things with the legs, but it's like eating rocks because there's so many tendons in them. Okay. They're not like a domestic bird where you get a lot of meat off of a leg. You might be able to do some soup or something out of it or the rest of, of the carcass, but 90% of the meat is on the breast. And that that's my favorite portion. And what I personally like to do the best with it is I slice it, marinate it, and grill it. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, I just, uh, we were at, um, we had the St. Francis Cabrini 
uh, we had the auction for the kids' school, and um, I got this nice little tailgate Traeger. Um, you know, I was like, hey, I can support the school and get a nice little, nice little smoker that I can travel around with. So I'm, I'm interested in um, to uh, put a little brine to this thing and get a get a smoke on it. So we'll see how that turns out. But um, you know, um, uh, I I might have to reserve one breast. Uh, do you got a secret marinade? I like the uh, Mesquite Jack Daniels. It's in a bag. You oh, buy it at pretty much any grocery store. Uh, you you got me thinking about Texas all of a sudden. The uh, the big barbecue stand out there would be. Would, have you ever been through San Antonio and gotten Rudy's? I have. Yeah. So yeah, Rudy's has that great Mesquite smoked turkey. Um, it's <laughs> it's 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 um, good for all meals. Um, you might, yes, sir. You might want to check it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, I used to get a pound of mesquite, a, a pound of turkey, a side of chop, and a side of cream corn, and that would get me through the day, um, no problem. So uh, check that out, folks. Next time you're th- through San Antonio, but um, well, very cool, man. So we've located the turkey, we've we've dispatched the turkey, and uh, we closed the show with uh, cooking the turkey. So um, hopefully, uh, hopefully, Chris gave you a couple things to. Uh, to think on folks as, as you're uh, getting your own turkey hunt squared away. Chris, if, um, if you've, if you've titillated our audience enough, um, and maybe some folks had some questions, um, would you ever be open or receptive to, you know, taking an email from, from a listener of the show? Absolutely. Be glad to help anybody who's interested. Cool. Um, uh, We'll put you. We'll get an email from you. And maybe we'll just throw it in the show notes. Um, but uh, Chris, uh, you know, Chris is being very modest as a turkey man. But um, the last thing we'll bring up, you you were on a Discovery Channel show where you put where you put a guy on a bird. Yes, sir. Um, they did a project that was called Hunting with Heroes, and they were doing a show here in Missouri. And uh, one of the prior people that I had guided in the past. And I, I do not guide professionally. I just like to take people out to get their first bird and do some experiences that way. Um, I got highly recommended to, to do this, and they asked me if I would. And it was a uh, amputee soldier that we took out, and uh, it, it was a blessing to be able to do it. And he was successful. We got him a bird, and it was a, it was a great opportunity. Well, very cool. Well, me and Jeremy are going to kill... Um, four turkeys this year in Washington. So would you mind putting me on my fourth bird next year? <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't mind. I, I'm going to kill. I'm going to kill my two here in Missouri for sure. Okay. And probably two in Kansas. Okay. And maybe I can go to Washington and kill two more. Yeah, well, come on, hey, up. man. It's you should. Hey, um, I got a spare room for you, and anything you need, you can even use my Traeger grill that I just bought from from my, from the kids at Cabrini. You let me know. <laughs> you let me know what you need. Um, it'd be interesting to just, uh, you know, it's it's invaluable, I think, to hang out with anyone who's experienced in anything, and for for you to, um, you know, be at this twenty five years, there's it'd be great to pick your brain for a weekend on this. So um, we will definitely hope that you tag out early, so you'd be interested in coming out here late. So that'd be great. I would love to do it as long as um, you have toilet paper. We got it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was in the garage getting my workout in um, yesterday morning, and I looked at a, a hole. I actually I wanted to post it on the Instagram just to tease people. I have a hole, and we bought it like 
two weeks ago. You know, we have it. So we have one whole case for ourselves. So we're uh, we do have it. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna mark one roll just for you in case you come. So we got it. We got your roll, and um, we can uh, easily accommodate that. But um, I'll tell you the other thing: travel, travel's getting cheap. So um, if you're interested, come on out. Come on out. You can come out for for uh, for next to nothing. It looks like you can probably. I think there's round trip. It's round trips to Honolulu for a hundred bucks. I'd imagine you can get to Washington for half of that right now. So um, so uh, take us up on it, Chris. Love to see you. And I got one question, Chris. Um, have you uh, had a chance to try out those Ellsworth socks? No. I have, um, and I love them. So to give you, I guess, how much I did, I, I own eight pairs of each, and I ordered the light hunting or hiking socks uh, yesterday and ordered six pairs of those, too. Oh, good deal. Thank you. That's awesome. They are, yeah, they're pretty very, amazing, huh? Yeah, very comfortable. And it's, uh, I, I never would have thought in history that socks would make a difference. But they make a world of difference. Well, and the, the Ellsworth ones in particular, like, you know, Western hunting's wild. You're caught between what to do with your feet. And I find that when I go with a heavier sock... Um, my feet sweat, and when I found that I go with a lighter f- sock, my feet are cold. And you, you, the Ellsworth sock that um, Jeremy put has put us on is um, it's the best of both worlds, where you're you're pretty comfortable, but you also the 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 moisture control um, is something that is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it it is. Um, I don't know that I've ever heard you know revolutionary sock change, but. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is definitely somebody thought outside the box and did something fantastic when they did it if you're if you're going to be on your feet you're going to be out in the woods um you're going to be hiking quite a bit or like myself i love to shed hunt uh, put on eight or ten miles a day they're irreplaceable yeah i mean but, but think about yeah, it that's awesome you think about feet and you're like you know, the socks are a second thought, but, you know, how many hunts have you been on where they're ruined because feet get torn up? Oh, man, I, I, last year turkey hunting for me. Yeah, one year elk hunting in Colorado for me, that was an expensive mistake. Yeah. no, th- <laughs> it's I mean, th- painful. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, so, I mean, maybe socks shouldn't be a second thought. I mean... You know, it's like anything else. I mean, quality matters. And, you know, if something works, it works. And if it works really well, you know, don't tell your friends, you know. But we are telling our friends here to help Jeremy out and our buddies at Ellsworth because they're amazing. I mean, they really are. I mean, I mean, that that's cool. So you, you've you been wearing the lighter sock, though? I haven't. I've only been in their heavy one. I, I have um, the heavy sock and then i think it's probably the medium boot sock yeah and then i just yeah the yeah the mid and then now i i just ordered because i'm just gonna wear them daily with uh like if i especially doing trade shows or anything where you're on your feet quite a bit yeah or if uh you know here in the spring turkey hunting i'm gonna have those they're called a hunting the light hunting or hiking sock yeah uh-huh. so a little bit lighter weight um 
that I'm assuming won't be as warm, not designed for the boot, but maybe be able to wear through the spring. That's what I, I ordered those yesterday. Yeah, I might have to pick your ear on that. Uh, Jeremy shared your contact information with me, but I'll only call you with permission. Um, but uh, but uh, I do a bunch of trail running in the spring, and I was looking at that light sock to throw into the trail shoe. It seems like it makes a lot of sense. Um, so uh, if you get good results, don't be afraid to pass them along. All right. Well, uh, I've never found anything to run from yet, so <laughs> I won't be doing any running. <laughs> Well, I'll have I'll have my wife make you a tuna fish sandwich, and um, we'll get you running from there. So uh, we'll work that out. Uh, my wife is <laughs> she's great at many things, um, but uh, um, uh, some some meals are left better unprepared, I would say. Um, but we'll talk through that next time. I probably said too much, um, but uh, but uh, no, uh, Chris, dude, seriously, um, it was a uh, it was a great conversation, and I I'm looking forward to actually. Uh, after podcasting with Pat Corcoran, I, I swapped some meat with him. So I'd imagine if, if this trend continues, um, there'll be a face-to-face at some point over the next uh, little bit. So uh, I hope it happens over turkey season. Sounds good. I look forward to it. All right. Well, well thanks a bunch, Chris. Uh, Jeremy, I'll leave the final word to you, sir. Um, and Any closing thoughts on, uh, on uh, Turkey Talk with Chris? No, man, I think it was a great conversation. I appreciate you coming out and um, looking forward to everybody getting out there this and taking our children. So, Gobble, gobble. Amen. <laughs> God bless America. Get after it, folks, and enjoy yourself. Chris, that was awesome, man. I appreciate it. A uh, little longer than usual, but that's just because I think the conversation was so good. So thank you. Oh, no problem.